0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this April 2016 episode is Tracing Immigrant Ancestors. We will start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will share her search for Irish immigrant ancestors. And then we'll jump right into our top tip segment to discuss tracing Eastern European immigrants with Lisa also author of the new Family Tree Polish, Czech, and Slovak Genealogy Guide. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we will dig into German resources on Ancestry.com and FamilySearch.org with Jim Beidler, author of the new book, Trace Your German Ancestors Online. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Donna Moody will be here to talk about her on-demand webinar. It's called Trace Your Irish Immigrant Ancestors, and then we will wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who's going to be talking about an e-book called Genealogist's Guide to Ethnic Names. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. It is time for the news from the blogosphere, and that means the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad, is here. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Diane. Our theme for this episode is tracing immigrant ancestors, and I see that you have been doing some blogging on this subject on the Genealogy Insider blog. Tell us what you've been talking about.
1: Well, I think probably the most challenging thing for tracing immigrants is finding exactly where they came from, because most of the time you need a village or a parish or, you know, some kind of specific place more than um, more than just a country. So um, one thing I posted about recently was how I found that place for um, four of my German ancestors. So I thought that might help people kind of give them an idea of where they might look.
0: Oh, yeah, because you're right, it's all about location. You had a couple of different scenarios. Share with us kind of some of the different places that you were looking and what worked
1: for you. Sure. Well, for one, um, it was just a Google search on the name of this ancestor, um, Edward Thoss, and he settled in Covington, Kentucky and on the library website for that county. Um, for Kenton County, which is where Covington is, it had a list of founding members of the German Pioneer Society. And his name was on there. And also it happened that um, the name of another ancestor was on there. um, And I didn't know at the time that person was an ancestor. So (laughs) I went to the library and they had a bunch of records from this organization that you could go through and see it had little profiles of Different founding members. So that was pretty interesting. And a lot of cities and towns where um, they had strong German communities had these pioneer societies. So check um, libraries and historical societies and different German organizations and towns. Yeah.
0: You mentioned this particular one and the other ones in your post. It was called Four Ways I Found German Ancestors' Birthplaces. And I like the way that you took the Google map and you kind of plotted out where people were so you could start to kind of visualize the relationship, who's clustering together and who's kind of out in no man's land. It's it's a really cool visual
1: picture of that. And when I look at German records from um, the one town in particular that my Seeger ancestors came from, you just see the names that they repeat. So I just take pictures of any page that has a surname I recognize. And then those same names repeat in records of Cincinnati and the area around here where they settled. So it's just fascinating. And I'm sure that I have some um, cousins marrying. I just i am trying to map everybody out.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You know, I know you are so busy now as the editor of Family Tree Magazine there. How in the world do you fit in this time when you're putting together this whole magazine to, to get some of this <laughs> research done? It's it's terrific. And I love that you actually took the time to share it on the blog.
1: So bad. It's kind of like... a. Um... I don't know, a food lover working at a bakery because, you know, I have to try new databases and, you know, I come across a great tip. I'm like, oh, let me try that real quick here. So um, so I have to (laughs) try not to do a lot of that during the workday, but it does help come up with some of the how-to content and check out the tips that we're offering
0: Exactly. That's how I get mine done. I just use mine as the guinea pigs for all the stuff that we're testing. And hey, that works out great. Well, I know you're going to be doing ongoing blogging. I love this particular post. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Again, it's called Four Ways i Found German Ancestors Birthplaces. And Diane, we're going to have Jim Beidler on the show uh, later in the show. So that's just going to be a great follow up. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. You're welcome. As I said at the top of the show, our theme for this episode is tracing immigrant ancestors. So let's trace our Eastern European immigrants, and we'll do that with Lisa also. She's the author of the brand new book, Family Tree, Polish, Czech, and Slovak Genealogy Guide. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for being here. You know, this last weekend, I, I went on a trip in Texas, and I drove through a little town, that had a huge Czech heritage, and I stopped at the bakery and I walked out there just wishing that I had Czech immigrants in my past. My goodness, amazing, wonderful food. And who knows, as we do our research, we could stumble into Eastern European roots that we didn't even know we had. And your book really kind of helps us when we get to that place, right? Because I'm assuming you can be a beginner and jump in and have it take you on the way.
2: Absolutely. Uh, that's why I wrote this book because uh, Eastern European research is becoming a lot more popular than it had been. You know, I started this 26 years ago, and there were virtually no how-to resources. And so I decided that you know this. And when Family Tree asked me to do the book, we decided that this would be a good jumping off point for the beginners, you know, how to actually get started, you know, what do you need to do to start tracing your Polish Czech and Slovak roots and, you know, all the step-by-steps that you need to be successful before you even think about crossing the ocean.
0: Well, and I imagine, too, and I know this for myself, even as an advanced researcher, going through a step-by-step like this that kind of is comprehensive can really help you spot the areas that you might have missed along the way or kind of clean up your act from when you first started your research. Um, so I imagine there's some, some real benefits there. And there are going to be some challenges along the way, right? So what kind of challenges does the Eastern European researcher face?
2: And kind of how does
0: the book address that?
2: Sure, they can be broken down into really three categories. Names, geography, and language. And so okay. names, you have to know your immigrant ancestors' original name as it was in the country where they were born and before they immigrated because we all know there are all sorts of reasons for name changes in the United States. Uh, they were not magically changed at Ellis Island, uh, but when the immigrants settled and uh, you know melded into uh, society here, uh, they shorten their name, they change them, and and then there were also issues that go back to the language, which are you know transliterations of names, how names are transcribed, how they are communicated. So names, knowing that name, and so we give you tips in in the book on how to determine your immigrant ancestor's original name and what sources you need. And then, of course, geography is a huge problem because the border shifted and changed, not only between the wars, but, you know, across the centuries. And there are all sorts of issues. You know, one example is, you know, modern day Poland, as we know, it didn't exist. It used to be three partitions and and there were all sorts of other changes going on in Poland. My ancestors were Slovak, but You had Bohemia and Moravia, and then you had Slovakia, which was – Controlled by the Hungarian government because that was all part of the massive Austro Hungarian Empire. But then in 1918, after World War I, uh, everything changed and uh, those areas merged and it became Czechoslovakia. And then again in 1993, it split and now you have the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic. So that's geographic issues are major and we give you the maps, the gazetteers, how to find them, atlases, how to determine you know, the correct name of your ancestral village. Also, then, of course, we have language issues. Uh, the records, you know, people are surprised. Oh, the records are not in English. Well, uh, <laughs> no, they're not. They can be in Latin. <laughs> they can be in Hungarian. They can be in Polish. They can be in Czech. They can be in Slovak. They can even be in written in the Cyrillic alphabet. So, wow. it you know, there are a lot of Uh, a lot of issues in terms of language and understanding how to read the records and so we give plenty of tips and plenty of resources and uh, even you know how to write letters and so forth in to different countries and so it, it it's it's pretty comprehensive in that respect.
0: I know in doing my German research that once I kind of nailed down what the German word was for marriage and birth and death and and some of the key things that you might see in records, I was able to actually kind of really tackle the records, even though I don't speak German. Is it the same kind of a situation generally in, let's say, church records when you're working in perhaps
2: Slovak records? Exactly. You know, you learn the key words, and we actually give uh, in the appendices we have uh, some of the major words that you will encounter. And so, once you learn them, and the more you practice, and the more you look at these records, you start recognizing them, and so it becomes a little more, a little less intimidating. I guess is what I want to say is that you you get comfortable, and you you don't necessarily have to be fluent in those languages, but have Having the understanding really does help. Oh, fantastic.
0: Now, a lot of folks, when they're first beginners, they don't yet know all the different archives and libraries, or or maybe they just don't have the ability to travel right now. Can they get much done working from home, on the computer, online, kind of laying some of the foundation for the research they're going to be doing?
2: Absolutely. And that's one of the big changes in Eastern European research since I started, where there are records online. Of course, not now. Not everything is online. There's still right. a lot that you have to do in terms of writing to archives or having a researcher maybe help you out. But you can get started with a lot of great records at Family FamilySearch. Uh, they've done a tremendous job in bringing records on to their digital collections, but also they still have a, a comprehensive microfilm catalog that you can check for different countries. And again, not all countries, not all places but I always recommend that people do check Family Search first before spending the money to go over and research in the archives or contact somebody or paying professionals. See what you can get done. Also, uh, Poland and Czech Republic, especially, are doing a great job in terms of getting their own databases online and uh, through different interfaces, and they are, they are working. To try to bring more and more records online as well, uh, Slovakia doesn't have a, a online database as yet. Most of the things that you will find online you will have to get through family search, but uh, Poland and Czech Republic are making strides in, in bringing uh, a lot of their different archives are bringing records online. so there are some great online resources for Polish and Czech researchers
0: oh, fantastic, and you know that's why I think a book like yours. Is so critical in this type of research because you don't know what you don't know, and you don't want to be spinning your wheels, you know, looking for something or paying too much for something when it turns out it was around the corner or online or whatever. So, kind of navigating that whole field, it's wonderful how you've laid it out here in the book to to help us do that in a logical, um, efficient way. Now shifting gears totally. When we make some progress here, you know, one of the exciting things to do is to maybe actually make the trip, you know, do some heritage travel and see some of the places that we've worked so hard to identify. And I know that you've done quite a bit of that yourself. Do you talk about that in the book as well?
2: Absolutely. There's a one chapter dedicated to heritage travel and it includes things like a packing checklist to, you know to, for you to get a packing checklist there are tips on how to plan um, that's my biggest advice is plan as far in advance as you can do a lot of the initial legwork you know understand what you want to do plan it out have a couple of plan a's plan B's uh, knowing that sometimes you get over there and Archives may be closed on a certain day, so have something mm-hmm. else in mind that you want to do. I made two trips over to Slovakia, and you know, I, I was pretty well organized, but you also have to build in some wiggle room uh, for unexpected discoveries. Uh, for example, like I met cousins that I didn't know that I had, and I ended up spending more time in the villages. And uh, one of the other tips that I talk about in the chapter is you know, the importance of even – even if you're comfortable with the language or feel comfortable going over, I always recommend maybe hiring a guide or a professional researcher based in the country that you're going to in the area because they can really get you into places and know things that you can't possibly know in advance. And I know it was worth every penny I spent to hire my guide. So we give you tips on how to find these people. A lot of this is through an ethnic genealogical society if you belong to one. For example, Polish Genealogical Society of America or the Czechoslovak Genealogical Society International. They have relationships with professionals and they can usually give recommendations and so that's that's one of the things I discuss in the the heritage uh, travel chapter.
0: Oh, that's fantastic because you know it can be a little intimidating and you worry that you know you're getting somebody trustworthy that you can rely on. So those resources that you provide are so invaluable and and yet I have to agree that having somebody who knows the ins and outs and knows the language and everything, boy, it really helps you make so much more better use of your time and opens so many more doors for you. Like you say, worth every penny. Wow. There's so much to cover. And I know we have such a short time here on the podcast. But of course, if you want to learn more about how to trace your immigrant ancestors, specifically those Eastern European ones, I really recommend Lisa's book. It's The Family Tree Polish Czech and Slovak Genealogy Guide. We'll have links in the show notes. Of course, you can find it in Shop Family Tree. It's always great to have you here, Lisa. And it's always inspiring makes us want to go out and make the trip ourselves. Thanks so much for joining us here on the
2: podcast. Thanks so much, Lisa.
0: 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History segment, we are heading back to two of the big players, Ancestry and Family Search. And we're going to specifically zero in on the German research resources that they hold. And who better to do that with but with my friend Jim Beidler. He's the author of the new book, Trace Your German Roots Online. Welcome back to the show, Jim.
3: Thank you very much, Lisa. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we're excited to have you because a lot of people listening have some German branch out there. And I know you are an expert on this subject. And of course, the new book is, is really terrific. But let's focus in on First Family Search, because that's a perfect place to start, of course, because it's free. What's the best approach to tapping into that site's German resources?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean, the best approach can vary a little bit depending on... Uh, where a person is at in tracing their German-speaking ancestry. And in terms of, of assets that Family Search has that are German-oriented, the, the big kahuna are their literally thousands of microfilms of church records that they've had, uh, I think, starting in the 50s was when they started microfilming. Well, those microfilms Two different digital assets that are that are coming out of those. First of all, many of them volunteers are transcribing the names out of those uh, church records, and those are, are being put in large databases that can be searched on FamilySearch. And then the secondly, uh, of course, uh, FamilySearch is digitizing all of its microfilm collection, over two million. Uh, microfilms from all sorts of records around the world. But, of course, specifically, these German church records are going into that collection. So th- those are two two big things. Now, one one thing that's um, they're, they're expecting to have everything, all, all the microfilms digitized now, uh, within about four years, more, four years more time. Yeah. Uh, at this point, they don't have rights... To put all of their microfilms online on FamilySearch. The ones that they don't have full rights to do that, they will be able to make available in family history centers across the country where the traditional paradigm is that you needed to rent microfilms from the big house in Salt Lake to the local family history centers. Now, instead of that, you know, that rental process, which was, you know, wonderful for what it was, but in a, in the mm-hmm. digital age, is kind of clunky. Uh, <laughs> it, instead, uh, what what I'm expecting to happen is they're going to beef up the technology assets of the family history centers, so that you'll then be able to go there. Okay, you want to to look at the uh, town of Dinkelsbühl in Bavaria, their church records. And then you'll be able to, to look at a, a digital copy of that microfilm at the Family History Center.
0: And, you know, I remember spending, oh my gosh, months and months going through one specific parish in Germany. I had to order. It took quite a while because it was out in the granite vault. And then they got us a copy and I would go in every Saturday and go through that microfilm. And it, it can sound like, oh gosh, I I don't get to do this on my home computer. But the thing is there's family history centers and my goodness, almost on every corner. I mean, they're, they're all across the country and really around the world. So uh, to me, even if I couldn't access it from my home computer to be able to go to my local center, and still have the advantage, as you said, of the upgraded digital assets and computer systems so that you can at least pull it up and more quickly go through it and, you know, search it. That's That would just be a tremendous boost for everybody in making it more accessible.
3: Right. And not only that, but, you know, what frequently happens is you you go back a generation or two in those German church records, and then one of the, the lines came from an adjoining parish. Well, okay. under under the, the old paradigm, <laughs> you'd then have to order a new microfilm, go through the rental right. process, wait for it to come in. Well, instead in this situation, well, you just go back to the Family History Library catalog, you select that new parish, and then voila, voila there will be a, new, a digital copy of that new parish, for you to look through. You'll, you'll, you'll essentially, in the Family History Centers, you'll have basically the same experience as if you were in the Family History Library out in Salt Lake.
0: Yeah, I think I would have shaved a lot of weeks off of that
3: research got, I was you doing got that right. had
0: I been able to do that. <laughs> Wonderful. And and of course, at FamilySearch.org, it seems to me I've always had good success with going in and focusing on the place names. And that's why it's so important to know those place names before you start digging into German records, right? That, that's how we're going to tap into what's available. And, and every place seems to have a different mix of the kinds of records they might have, right? Sure.
3: Yeah, there are some places where there are tax lists from the 16 and 1700s. There are some of the, the early civil registrations. For some parts of Germany started uh, civil registrations. With the uh, French invasions in the late 1700s, most of the German states not till the 1870s. But you have some of those that are in the family history library system, and therefore the family search system. Yeah, loads of good records, and yet yeah, it's all it's all local. You know, just like real estate is location, location, location. Mm-hmm. German records are local, local, local.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect analogy. So that's Family Search. And of course, uh, there's so much more to learn about that. But I, I want to touch on Ancestry because that's the other big kahuna that's out there. That is, it's of course, a paid subscription generally. Although, certainly, I know we've been highlighted on my blog about a lot of the free databases that are out there. What are the, the big items that we should be keeping our eyes peeled for? I mean, we were talking before we started this. Recorded interview, and, and you were saying that you know we're reaching that tipping point of German research. Really, you can kind of head to online first and make a lot of headway. Uh, is Ancestry one of the places that we can do that?
3: Oh, absolutely! And first of all, you know, like you say, some things are free. You just have to register uh, on Ancestry, and some some of the databases are, are free. One of, one of them that is a, a great German resource is known as Meyer's Gazetteer, mm-hmm. uh, and this this is the leading geographical dictionary of village names. It uh, was published originally uh, right before World War I, when the Second German Empire was at its greatest extent, and so therefore, you've got all those eastern villages that are now in Poland that then were part of the German Empire. So you know that's a great uh, boon to German research that you can can look these listings up in in Myers because it gives you a, for a, for a village name it gives you all the details like were there were there parish churches uh, in that village or what parish were they a part of was there a civil registry office in the village or where where did the people have to go so it really it really gives you a lot of good background on. Uh, the villages and, and suggest to you what what potential records might be available.
0: That is such a fantastic resource. That was what really broke things open for me in my research because there were uh, sometimes they reuse the same name, right? <laughs> and there were several different villages with that same name. And boy, the gazetteer was critical to me. Finding the right one, so I could then order the right film. Yep. And so that just opened up the floodgates.
3: Yep. I, I had a recent client who who one what, what of the ancestors that I'm searching for, uh, hails from a town named Neustadt, uh, which literally means new town or new city. And, <laughs> and there there are parts of three pages in Myers Gazetteer of Neustadt. Fortunately, wow. fortunately I had some other uh, information about you know where. From the um, obituary of the, of this ancestor that that narrowed it down considerably. but yes, myers gazetteer was uh, was a real help there.
0: And then uh, I know you probably had a couple of the record resources what what else are we looking at mm-hmm. on
3: ancestry? Yeah lo- loads of things and and uh, German oriented resources from from both sides of the Atlantic as far as uh, German American, and Pennsylvania German church records, which are are vital, you know, especially for the first few generations in America after immigration. Ancestry has uh, two really big collections. They have the Historical Society of Pennsylvania collection of church records uh, that's available in, with an Ancestry subscription, and then also the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Of America, which the Lutherans were the were the number one Protestant the German denomination, and especially uh, Midwest German immigrants in the, in the 19th century usually uh, joined churches that today are uh, Evangelical Lutheran, and so ancestry has those. Then, as far as uh, German German resources, they have the Hamburg embarkation list uh, as part of their subscription. These are the the mirror to our American passenger arrival lists, and there are are times that you may not uh, be able to find somebody in the passenger arrival list, but you'll find them in the the you'll find them leaving Germany through Hamburg in the Hamburg embarkation list. And even if you have found them in the U.S. passenger arrival lists, you want to check for these Hamburg embarkation lists. because because there's a better chance that they might list the actual village in the embarkation list than what's in the uh, the passenger arrival data.
0: All right, you guys. Everybody listening, you can tell he knows his stuff. Uh, Jim, you're just a wealth of information on German research, and I am just eating it up and writing everything down because I have so much more to do in my German research. And really, Jim's book, is the place to go if you've got some work to do he's got all the resources it's called trace your german roots online and it's an exciting time to be a german researcher because so much is available that we can speed up the process do it with a little bit more convenience from home and of course online can also mean identifying what is offline and getting your ducks in a row so that you're saddled with all the information you need to go make the most use of the time where you do hit the archive in the library. Jim Beidler, you are a treasure. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast.
3: You're welcome, Lisa. My pleasure. And looking forward to the the book is just out. And as you said, there's many more uh, resources than family search and, and Ancestry in it. Oh, uh, I'm sure there's pretty much something for everybody that will be, be new to researchers.
0: Absolutely. In our Family Tree University crash course segment, we're going to turn to researching our Irish immigrant ancestors. I've invited Donna Moody, the presenter of our Trace Your Irish Immigrant Ancestor on Demand video webinar, to get us started. Welcome to the podcast, Donna. Thanks, Lisa. Great to have you here because so many people are trying to research Irish ancestors. And I've talked to lots of people who say, I have them, but I haven't started because I'm not sure where to start. And I I loved your video because it kind of really laid it out from the beginning and then moved logically through the process. Tell us, how do we figure out
4: where to start? Well, I think like all genealogical research, it's really important to start with yourself and work systematically back, making sure that you've made all the right connections. One of the problems in Irish research, of course, is the very common names that can send you off on the wrong track. Now, the key information that you're going to be looking for in order to be successful in Irish research is the place in Ireland where your ancestors came from. And that's not just the county, but we need more than that. We need the name of the parish or, if at all possible, the name of the townland that they came from. And if that information exists, it's likely to be here in this country or wherever they initially emigrated to
0: so we're we're looking for records here on this side of the pond to, to try to identify and get those location names
4: right because you're not going to be successful over there trying to figure out which of the hundred and fifty Michael Daly's is yours <laughs> um, unless That's you know right. where they're from yes, okay, so it's all about location it's awesome all about location in Ireland and you know the the problem is that, If the information exists, it probably doesn't exist in one location. We'd like to find the record that says, my ancestor came from, you know, with all of the information, but that's, you're just not likely to find that. But you might find it in bits and pieces in a lot of different records. Now, it's important to remember that all records in our lifetime anyway, are not going to be online. And you're going to have to look outside of what's online. And that's especially true with Roman Catholic church records here in this country. Um, You're going to have to write to the parish probably send money. And when you do, it's, it's really important to make sure that you tell them that you're looking for any locality information in Ireland and that you want all of the information that might be in the register. Now, what the Catholic Church does is you send your request and the parish secretary will pull the register off the book, fill out a form and send it to you. Now, if there's information in the register that doesn't have a blank on the form. You're not likely to get it unless you ask for it. And some Catholic priests would not marry a couple unless they had proof of their baptism. And so sometimes there's a notation there. I actually have a letter that was pinned into the register, a copy of it, that was from the parish priest in Ireland giving the actual parish information, which was exactly what I needed.
0: Wow. And that really drives home that idea that it's it's important to understand the record collections that you're working with, what may or may not be there, what to ask for, because like you say, Unless you specifically ask for something, it, it might be sitting there, but they don't send it to you. So we really have to educate ourselves, don't we?
4: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, whether you're researching here or in Ireland, just understanding the record set is so important. And the other thing about doing Irish research is it's not just about your direct ancestor you need to research everyone in the family, the parents, the sibling, the children. And, you know, I once found the information about where in Ireland a family came from, four generations removed from the immigrant on a collateral line. So researching everybody, even if your ancestor didn't leave the information, maybe one of their siblings did. That's a great idea, that
0: cluster research. So we want to pay attention to everybody because they're all kind of, um, it's, it's funny, we think of people as living in a vacuum, but they really don't. Of course, they're interconnected. And, and boy, that key information, four generations away, is that how you found it? That's where I
4: found it, finally. Wow. So, wow. you know, it's important to research everybody and, you know, if after you've researched, the the parents, the siblings, the, the children, and you don't find the information, you start all over again with the witnesses and the sponsors, especially once you get those baptismal records, It's important to understand who all of the sponsors are on the baptisms because it's likely they were either a family member or a very close friend and they might have come from the same area in Ireland that your ancestor came from. So it's sort of Elizabeth Schoen Mills, you know, fan club, the friends, associates and neighbors, you know, continue that research and just keep widening the circles until you start to pick up those little pieces of information.
0: Ah, uh, terrific terrific advice well i know you cover so much that the video is comprehensive and i and i love that you just make it so clear it sounds so doable you're taking kind of some of that intimidation out of irish research are there any other kind of quick tips or things that you mention that you think would really help us out just listening in these few minutes we have together
4: Well, you know, I think the other thing is that most of us have uh, Irish immigrants that came, you know, from the mid part of the 19th century on. So what we consider those famine era immigrants, and it's a little bit different to research the earlier ones, which we consider Scots-Irish, which are actually in a different lecture. But one of the things to remember is that the Irish of that time frame typically, use chain migration. One person would come over, work, earn enough money to send back to bring the next family member over. And so because of that, the later that a person emigrated, the more information we're likely to have on that individual. So when you're doing your census research, and of course you should find everybody that we're talking about all of the family members friends associates etc in every census for which they were living watch in the later censuses to see if you can find someone that's living in the household that was born in Ireland maybe identified as a cousin or a niece or you know some other relationship because they're likely to have come from the same place So if you find someone in the 1900 census living with the family, research that person. If they came after 1892, we're going to find a lot more information in the passenger lists, including the place that they were born. And if they naturalized after 1906, we're going to have all the information that we need. So keep watching for that chain migration for those people that came later.
0: Ah, you just gave us a treasure nugget out of that class Because I know in my case, um, a, a great-great-grandmother came over by herself. And, it, and at first glance, I'm thinking, oh, she was a lone wolf. You know, <laughs> she came over all over by herself. She may be just a link in the chain. And so we're not just looking at passenger records. We are looking at census and everything to kind of piece the whole puzzle together. Maybe they're not just a lone wolf.
4: Right. You know, stop to think about it. You know, our ancestors didn't throw a dart at a, a map and say, oh, yes. I'm going to settle there. They settled right. there because they knew somebody that was already living there. So you've got to try and and find those relationships to figure out who that was and, you know, and work that relationship to try and get back.
0: Oh, what a terrific strategy. Well. Donna, you've given us so much to work with, and I think um, while it's clear that Irish research is not just a, I think I'll sit down for an hour and figure out who these folks are, it's really a puzzle that we're going to be piecing together over a period of time. You've really laid it out in such a great, clear, and approachable way. So I know I'm inspired, I'm sure everybody else is listening, to, to take another look at their Irish immigrants. If you want to learn more about it, You can hear that Donna is so easy to to follow along with. Her video is terrific. It's called Trace Your Irish Immigrant Ancestor, and we will have a link for that in the show notes. Donna Moody, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Well, thanks, Lisa. I really enjoyed it. as we wrap up this episode, it's all devoted to researching our immigrant ancestors. Let's uh, check in with Allison Dolan because she's always got great resource materials. Hey, Allison! Hi, Lisa. Good to have you here. We've been talking to Jim Beidler about German research and we've been talking Irish research. We've been looking at ancestry and family search and everything. But it all comes down to who our ancestors are. You got any little Resources for us to kind of tap into to get to know these immigrant ancestors even better. Absolutely. So the one I want
5: to talk about today is pretty interesting in my opinion. Just how it came to be. It's called the Genealogist Guide to Ethnic Names Ebook. And so one of the challenges, of course, that we face when we are tracing our immigrant ancestors is they start to have names that aren't as familiar to us. Um, raise your hand if you've been. <laughs>
0: right? (laughs) All the
5: hands went up. So, you know, it becomes a little bit tricky to understand, like, is it spelled right? Did that get lost in translation? What are other variations of that name or nicknames? And all of those things um, that we deal with in researching in the United States become much harder when you're dealing with a language that you're unfamiliar with. So the Genealogist's Guide to Ethnic Names ebook is kind of a a directory of sorts. So it provides um, listings of different names and kind of talks about the origins of those names. And, you know, you can confirm spellings and things of that nature. But how it came to be is kind of interesting. So the book focuses on given names and it's split out by country or ethnicity. It covers different heritage groups from around the world. And it actually got its start as a baby name book, which you might not necessarily expect right. for a genealogy reference. But um, this was a book that our parent company F and W had published, um, and it had had a really good run, um, but was going to go out of print. And the author was looking to keep it alive as an ebook, and we saw the opportunity that wait, if this is organized by country, this is a perfect resource for genealogists. And so we kind of reconfigured the content to be, you know, really geared toward what a genealogist does. And, you know, it's all the same guts. It's just presented in a slightly different way. And I think it's a great resource that a lot of people have found useful.
0: Oh, yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, you think about a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, when people were doling out names, it seemed like they had much more connection to their heritage, and they were concerned with the meaning of it. And obviously there were names that were repeated through generations. Versus today, we kind of go with what's modern, what's, what's popular, uh, what sounds cool. And so I can imagine that, um, as we go back through our tree, this is really going to help out to kind of see, particularly for somebody maybe Maybe we're not sure what their heritage was.
5: Exactly. I think that's a great point, Lisa. Is you could utilize this as a chance to kind of see where this might fit in um, your family tree, as well as, you know, I guess the whole baby naming thing still works. <laughs> if you right. keep those traditions alive in your family tree, you could certainly use it as a source for that. But, you know, from a reference standpoint, I think. The value is really in understanding, you know, the different spellings and the meanings and what that could potentially tell you about your family.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm looking at it here in Shop Family Tree. It says discover the meaning of more than 10,000 names from around the world. And they are from all over the world. So we'll have a link in the show notes to a genealogist guide to ethnic names. It's a reference for first names from around the world. Perfect. Great fit. Thank you so much, Allison. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this April 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. Now be sure and check out Lisa Alzo's new book. It's called Family Tree Polish Czech and Slovak Genealogy Guide. It's available over at Shop Family Tree. We'll have a link in the show notes. And to get to the show notes, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you will find the webpage for this episode, which includes all the information and the website links, everything we covered on today's episode, including a link to that on-demand webinar, Trace Your Irish Immigrant Ancestor, and of course, Jim Beidler's new book, Trace Your German Ancestors Online. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.